You're listening to Teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest, near Monument, and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. Um, Thankfully, we are moving forward and opening things back up with other ministries in the church. Um, One of those ministries is our chapel kids ministry. So our ministry to four-year-olds through fifth graders, we had that on moratorium and kind of held off for a little while during the pandemic. And we have started that back up with all the proper protocols and and we have the volunteers now to run it at least a few weeks every month, so we're thankful for that. And so um, if you have a child in the four-year-old, the fifth-grade range, um, our volunteers are going to be waiting for you. Mr. Hakamazian right here and Ms. Anita are going to be on the foyer. Parents, um, if you could escort your child to the foyer, you'll, you'll, you'll sign them in, and then you can come on back in as we begin the sermon. So you're dismissed for Chapel Kids. Thank you. Uh, a couple other things before we get started. Um, many of you know that uh, our sister Vera Marchbank is home with the Lord now. Uh, she passed away March 11th, um, and uh, we're thankful that she is a believer, that she is with Jesus now, um, as much as we are sad to have lost our sister uh, Marchbank's family. I would like to invite anyone who, who would like to come and celebrate the life of Vera this coming Saturday, March 27th at 10 a.m. right here at Black Forest Chapel. You're all welcome to come, um, hear some stories, some memories. Uh, we will celebrate the life of our sister, uh, give glory to God for her life and that of the legacy of her family and the impact she's had on this, this church for, for many decades. Um, so please uh, put that on your calendars. So Saturday, March 27th at 10 a.m. Uh, right here at Black Forest Chapel. You're welcome to come. There will be some refreshments afterwards and uh, be able to share some memories and, and uh, share your condolences with the family. So, uh, And one last uh, announcement. Uh, next week, um, next Sunday, March 28th, after the service, immediately following the service, we will have Life Network, one of our local um, missions organizations that we support. They do a great work in town. Um, David Galvin from Life Network will be here on site to share for about 10 minutes about the ministry, what's going on in the ministry, how our partnership helps with them, and how we can partner with them in other ways too, since they are local. So please feel free to stay after the service next week. Prepare for that. We have, we'll have food and refreshments like we've been doing the past couple of months. So uh, please put that on your calendar as well. Let's pray as we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, you are in heaven, and you are sovereign, and you are holy, and you are other, and you are all-powerful and present everywhere, and you know everything. And Father, we, we have hope only in you, because you are the only one who is perfect in every way. We thank you for all of your attributes that we've been learning about, Lord. We thank you that you are faithful and trustworthy in every way. We thank you that you have provided salvation when there was none for us, Lord. We were lost in our sin. And Lord, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to atone for our sins, to die on a cross. By his death and by the resurrection that came three days later, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit, 
He broke the, the chains and the bondage of sin and death forever. And if we would believe in him, on your son, we would have, we'd have life. We would be saved from our sins and have eternal fellowship with you. And So, Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for that truth. Thank you that we have hope in you and you alone. There's nothing in this world we can hold on to, Lord. It all turns to dust. And, Lord, so we, we come now just to hear from you, the eternal God, the, the sovereign one, the holy one. Um, you have words of life. Uh, you're the only one that does. And so, Lord, help us to hear from you this morning as we open your word. Help us to understand, to be clear about what you're commanding us, what you're, what you're speaking to our hearts, Lord, and help us to ultimately obey you and walk in light of this truth. So, Holy Spirit, help us in the ways that we need help. And Father, we thank you that we are your people, that you have made a people for yourself, that we are a family because of you. We are sons and daughters of the God Most High. It's an amazing thing to behold and to think about. So may you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been following along, and we had a bit of a hiccup last week with the weather and weren't able to gather together, but thanks for persevering through all the snow drifts and finding your way back. I know they're still melting. Um, but we're, we're in Exodus 20. We didn't go anywhere. We're still there. Um, and we're looking at the third commandment this morning. And, and we've set the stage a few times, but this is God um, saving his people from Egypt, from bondage, from, from over 400 years of bondage in, in, in Egypt as slaves. He has saved them. He has brought them out, and he is sanctifying them by taking them through the desert. He's preparing them for... The, the good land, the promised land that he's taking them to, and he will be their God and they will be his people. And, and so God is setting up his covenant with them. This is the Mosaic covenant, and, and he's making promises there to be his treasured possession, the kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so to live with this holy God, they are to be holy people. And so he's setting a standard and giving them his law. And so the king has, has made this proclamation. The people have agreed to it. They've gone into covenant, so the king has come down for a visit. And he's on Mount Sinai, and the, the, the mountain is shaking, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and there's trumpet blasts, and there's smoke, and there's fire, and the people are trembling, and we have well over two million people surrounding this mountain with their God in front of them. And he's speaking to them, and he's giving them his law. And so in chapter 20, um, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the preamble. This is what, it's based, this is what the promise is based on, that he is God. He is the Lord, and he brought them out of the land of Egypt. No other God did this. No one else did this for them. No one else procured this salvation. They didn't save themselves. God did, out of the house of slavery. And so the first commandment, then, is a big one. It's important. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And so we talked about this several weeks ago, that they were to, God was trying to help them understand that they needed to worship the right God. There's only one true God. All the other gods are false gods. They come, remember, they're, they're coming out of Egypt after 400 years of being surrounded by a pantheon of gods. Everything was a God. Everything in creation, under heaven, everything was a God. And so God is, is letting them know that he didn't have any help with their salvation. He didn't have any help judging all of Egypt and, and washing over the entire army, Egyptian army in the Red Sea. God did that by himself. And so they shall have no other gods before him. And we talked about that personally. What are the gods in our life that we need to, to rid ourselves of? What are the things in our life that we are giving our affections to, that we are bowing down to, that we are worshiping besides the one true God? Is it money? Is it status? Is it relationships? 
Is it your work? What are those things that draw you away from worshiping the true God that you begin to worship ultimately yourself, but all these other things? And so God will have no other gods before him. That's pretty clear. And then the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands or the the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. (coughs) Excuse me. That's how much I love you. I won't cough into my microphone. That's how I attempt not to. <coughs> so the second commandment, it's like the first, but it's, it's a little bit different. Sometimes they're linked together. We shall worship the one true God, the right God, not all these other false gods. right? But then God wants us to worship him the right way as well. We don't get to just worship God any way that we choose. He wants us to worship him the right way. And so the problem was that they... The Israelites are coming from a place of idolatry, where they, to worship you know, one of their gods, they would worship a created thing. They, they wanted to have something in front of them. They wanted to have something physical. And so we even saw last week the Israelites in their air as Moses is on the mountain, and they're, they're, they're essentially um, getting in Aaron's face. Where is this Moses? He's not coming down. Make us, make us a god. And so Aaron makes the golden calf. We talked about that. There was a reason for the calf. There was a reason that there was the Apis bull worship in Egypt that we've already discussed. And so they, they make this, this idol, and then even Aaron said, well, we're going to worship to the Lord now. So they wanted to worship the one true God, Yahweh, the great I am, with this little thing, this little golden trinket, this, this, this calf. And so ultimately what they're doing is they're trying to take the divine and they're bringing him down into the dirt, right? Trying to take, they're trying to create God in an image that makes sense to them. And they want to worship God the way that they want to worship Him, not the way that He's called them. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. He has no form. We are not to make any type of image. And so we talked about that personally as far as an application. What are the things that, that we try to create? What are the little kings that we try to build? Maybe our ministry and church become something that's an idol in our life. And we say, well, we're worshiping the true God, but I'm doing it my way. I want to do this my way. I'm going to build my own little kingdom. Right? Another way to think of it is this. This is an illustration I, I read that I thought was interesting and, and was helpful for me. Imagine that a, a husband is, is holding and embracing and enjoying another woman in, in his home. And his wife walks in the door. And and consider the shock on her face, and he's holding her, and and the wife is just turning red and livid, and and the husband just says, oh, no, no, don't get mad, this this is completely, I I can explain this, this is fine. I met this woman at the grocery store, and she looks kind of like you, and she acts kind of like you, and she just reminds me of you. So when when I enjoy her, when I spend time with her, I'm just really thinking of you the whole time. How does that go over, Right? Now we understand the idea of jealousy, right? A jealous God, because that husband belongs to the wife. They're one flesh. There's no room for anybody else. And in the same way, when we hold on to something that we think is important, we want to worship God our own way. We want to take this little idol, whatever it might be, and it might be something that we deem to be good and spiritual, but we take it and it becomes the focus of our affection. But we say to God, no, this is, I'm worshiping you, Lord. But I really like this thing. This brings me comfort. 
We're not to create any images. We're not to worship anything else, any other idols in our life. Worship God alone, in spirit and in truth. And so there's the first two commandments for us. And so we move to the third, which is, which is like the first two. This, these are the first four are all about how we love God. Remember, all the, all the prophets and the commandments, they, 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 they hang on the, the great commandment that Jesus expressed to us, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And these first four, how do we love God with everything that we are? He's the object of our affection. So we are to love the right God, and we are to love the right God the right way. Right? We don't get to just worship whoever we want. We don't get just to worship God the way we want. And in the third command, we don't get to use the name of God any way that we want. His name is really, in his name is kind of bound up all of who he is. All of his attributes, all of his perfections, all of his actions, all the works, that he, they're, they're bound up in his name. And so we are to give glory to his name. We are to worship his name. And so we're not to misuse his name. And so in verse 7, we see the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so another way to translate this would be, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. So the idea of taking, taking up, it's, it's lifting up his name. You should not take the name. You should not lift up his name. And, and there's a lot of applications here, and we'll talk about some of those. But if, if someone were to lift up God's name with their hands in worship, we're not to do that carelessly. We're not to do that recklessly or flippantly. If we are to lift our hands taking an oath, we're not to do that carelessly as well. We're not to use God's name for our own agenda, for our own purposes. We're not to create false oaths and create, essentially commit perjury and lie using God's name. We're not to lift up our hands and curse God. Right? So we're not to lift up his name in any way that maligns or demeans or diminishes or makes his name empty or worthless. And so that's what vain means. We're not to take his name in vain. It means empty, nothing, worthless, to no good purpose. It means to be careless to use it for wrong purposes, to be flippant, to be too casual with your expression, to be thoughtless. So we are not to misuse God's name. And it doesn't mean we can't use God's name. And that's where, um, in the third century AD, the, the, uh, the Jewish people actually stopped using God's name for fear of, of misusing his name. So instead of the fear of misusing his name, let's just not use his name at all. All right? So as a result, Adonai was occasionally substituted for Yahweh, um, but ultimately they just wouldn't speak his name. It's, it's too holy of a name to speak. And even now, if you, if you look at um, Orthodox Jews when they write, they'll, they'll have capital G, and then they'll have a line, and then D. They won't even spell the name of God. Now that wasn't necessarily God's purpose here. It says, you can use my name. It's actually God uses his own name, Yahweh, the Lord, the, the, I am who I am, as introduced to Moses in, in uh, Exodus 3. He uses his name almost over, almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. So God's not afraid to use his name. He wants his name to be known. He wants his name to be glorified. He doesn't want his name to be misused. And there's a series of, of ways and things that we engage in that misuse his name. To talk a little bit more about the importance of God's name, let's just take a look at Exodus 3 again real quick and how he introduced himself to Moses, and then we'll look at Exodus 33. It helps us a little bit to understand the importance of God's name, how intrinsically tied it is to who he is. 
Exodus uh, 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel, so God's given them his marching orders, this is what what I want you to do. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Remember that? We talked about how amazing that is. Essentially, that's a statement of that he is completely self-existent. He is self-sufficient. He is supremely sovereign. He has no beginning and no end. He was not created. He is who he is. I love that. I am who I am. And he says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. His name is important to him, and his name should be important to us. And so we should take care of how we use his name. Exodus 33, Exodus 33, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. Moses wanted to see, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty bold ask, right? Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So when Moses asked him to show him his glory, God's going to pass all his goodness before him. And, and, what, and how is he going to show him his glory? By proclaiming his name, the Lord. He's going to proclaim his name to show him his glory. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will um, show mercy to on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me which you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. <coughs> And then uh, chapter 34, verse 5, just go down a few verses. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So he's proclaiming his name. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the the great I, I am who I am. I am who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is, this is all bound up in his name. He's proclaiming who he is by all of his attributes, but also by all, all the things that he does. Let's read that again. The, this is how he's showing his glory. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what was Moses' response to this? To God speaking his name. Show me your glory. So God speaks his name. His, his, his glory is found in his name. Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. That's, that's the proper response when we're in the presence of God, when we hear his name. And so in the same way that we're not to make idols, we're not to take this, the divine majesty of God and try to bring him down to the dirt and try to make and form something for ourselves and worship him that way. In the same way, we're not to take the divine name of God and bring it down to the dirt and use it in whatever way we see fit. We're not to do that. 
It's dangerous. It's a sin against the living God. So this is an amazing picture that God shows himself by speaking his name. Right? John Calvin says that we must not use God's word or his name for the purpose of our own ambition, avarice, which is greed, or amusement. Not use the name for our own purpose, our own ambition, our avarice, or amusement. We're not to... We're not to use God to try to make money off of his name. There are plenty of Christian ministries that do that or, or claim to be Christian ministries, right? They use the name of God, they use the name of Christ, and they want to make money. And they fly private jets all over the place, and they, their, their suits sparkle all the time, and they're really, right? Everything about them is fake. They're misusing the name of the Lord, they're using it for their own profit, for their own purposes, we're not to be joking and just casually use God's name as, as, a, as a punchline, right? Some of us, it just flows off the tongue because we've been in the world a long time. Maybe we're, 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 things are changing. What's, what's inside is starting to reflect what's coming out now. But perhaps there's still work to be done, and there's no condemnation there, but there is repentance that's needed if we use God's name, if we use Jesus' name as an exclamation point at the end of a sentence, right? we use God's name as, as, a, as a curse word or, like I said, a punchline and a joke, we, we should, there needs to be an understanding of how serious that is. None of us would make the, well, hopefully none of us would make the, the unwise, um, you know, kind of off-the-cuff the, off comments about something like 9-11, the, the Twin Towers being hit by terrorists and two planes and almost three, close to 3,000 people died. Sick more, thousands more injured and hurt. And that, that, there's a, what, about, what about the Holocaust? Would we make jokes about that? Five million, six million more just for ideologies and racial issues and political views. Do we make, do we make jokes about that? Why? We don't make jokes about those events because of the seriousness, the gravity, the loss of life. There's, there's something about it. We just don't go there, right? That's just not wise to do. But what about, what about God? What about the Holy One? one who created everything. Do we use his name as a punchline? There are so many, there's so many cartoons and TV shows and, who make fun of Jesus all the time, right? They have him in his robe and his sandals, and he's always, they make fun of him. They, they portray him in different ways. It's, it's blasphemous. It's, it's, it's taking God's name in vain. It's, it's emptying God and Jesus Christ of all their worth, as if they don't even exist. They're nothing, to be able to make fun of them like that. And any of us would, would feel the same way. I mean, our names are important, right? I'm sure, I'm, maybe not, maybe your parents didn't take as long, but maybe there was some of you who are parents know that you, you got the big book, right? And unless there was a namesake in the family that you'd already kind of picked out and you were going to name your child after someone in the family, um, it, it, takes, it takes a while to go through those books and the, what does this name, what does this mean, and, and kind of think, what should I name my child? It's, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal. This is going to be their name forever. What does this rhyme with? That's not going to work. I don't want to rhyme with that, right? And we take it seriously. We name, we name our pets. We name businesses. We, our names are important. And when someone takes that name that is important, that belongs to you, that identifies you, and they drag it through the mud, and they say things about you that's not true, and they think they say things about your business that's not true, and you're on social media, there's actually there's businesses now that will go out on social media to try to clean up your online presence because people have maligned people's names and given them a bad name on, online. So they can't get jobs because they've got all these bad reviews or they've got all these... It's, it's horrible. Our name is important. How much more is the name of God important? And how, how careless are we with his name? 
And so there's, there's, a, there's a few ways that we can, that we can um, essentially, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there are a few areas that are kind of prohibited under this commandment that are historically, contextually helpful for Israel, that makes sense for them in their time period, and, but as well for us, that, that really connects us and there's applications for us as well. Ultimately, though, we are to be glorifying the name of God, and the psalmists do a great job with lifting up God's name. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's just a cry of the heart. O Lord, the great I am, Yahweh, Jehovah, how, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 111.9, after, if you look at the rest of Psalm 111, it's all about God's great works, that we should be thinking about all the great things that he has done. Psalm 111.9 says, holy and awesome is his name. Every time I read that psalm, I read it out loud a lot, I get to that part and I just have to stop and just slow down and consider how, how amazing he is. Holy and awesome is his name. And even in the Lord's Prayer, as, as Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, what's the next, next part? Hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy. Your name is set apart, right? Let your name be treated with reverence and with awe. Hallow, this is how we are taught to pray. To put God where you, God, you are Father. You're our Father. Thank you. you you're a loving Father, and that, and that should have all kinds of connotations and, and thoughts about who God has revealed himself to be and how he interacts with our life. So our Father in heaven, he's in heaven. We are not, right? He's on his throne. He is God. We're not God. He's sovereign. He, just right there, we should be comforted as we begin to pray. Not that we have to pray it exactly like that, but there's a, there's a reason why we start here. And then the next part is, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. We're just trying to understand who we're talking to here, right? Instead of just flippantly kind of opening the prayer line with our own concerns and, and problems and just talking to God as if he's just, a, you know, God, you're just, you're, you're just frustrating me and you're just, you're just not doing the right thing. And, you know, he's just a side note to this whole thing. I'm supposed to pray, so I'll talk, I'll, I'll pray. No, we should be, as Moses did, when Moses heard the name of God worshiping, bowing down before him. And then we bring our petitions, and then we, we bring the things that we need to God. It changes the whole dynamic of prayer. It really does. God is in his place, and we are in ours. And now we ask differently. Right? Perhaps we even ask in faith where before we don't, because now we're talking to a God who can actually do something about this. So his name is important. And so the ways that we are to avoid using his name in vain, there's, there's five different areas, and I'll, we'll just run through these that are pretty common. There, there's probably more. These are the areas that were common to Israel and to their context and for, for us today. The first is to blaspheme or to curse God's name. And I talked about this already, but to, to actually intentionally curse the name of God. To lift up, to take his name in vain is to curse his name. Blaspheme in Hebrew, in the Hebrew here, actually means to puncture or to perforate with violence. So essentially using speech to violently attack, to puncture, to strike, to perforate the name of God. You're using your speech to essentially hurt him, to curse his name, his renown, his reputation. You're, 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 just, you're just poking a hole in it with violence, with your speech. That's what it means to blaspheme. Leviticus 24.16, 
gives us an idea of how serious this is. Leviticus 24, I'll start in verse 10, if you're reading along. It says, Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. So this, this son goes out in the camp, and he finds another guy, and they're, and they're fighting. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed, punctured, verbally attacked, cursed the name and cursed. So he, he blasphemed the name, capital N. So he's going after God directly, his personal name. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shalomith, and the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Can you imagine sitting in custody in prison after what you just did? Knowing the law, probably. Knowing how incredible. I mean, this is not that far removed from Mount Sinai. And seeing God, and seeing his power, and hearing his voice. And not wanting to even hear from him again, because you felt like you were going to die. And then in an act of aggression and fights and whatever happened here to curse the name, the, the personal name of God. And now you're sitting in custody waiting to hear what God has to say about this. I wonder how long God let him sit in custody. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation, all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, capital N, shall be put to death. Does God care about his name? Absolutely. This is, this is serious business. And we can see why in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 2 and chapter 14, why the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they had, a, they had a problem with Jesus essentially equating himself with God. This is really what they used to finally get him because they couldn't find any other reason to remove him from the scene. In Mark chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, right before that, the paralytic was lowered down. Jesus uh, said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it says in verse 6, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. He's damaging, he's injuring the name of the Holy One, of God, because he's equating himself with God. Only God can forgive sins, right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to him, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus is telling the truth when he says he can forgive sins. And then in Mark chapter 14, after Jesus is arrested and he's standing before the council, before the high priest, we'll actually read that section this is uh, verse 55, so this is Mark 14, 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they found none. So they arrested him first and looking for testimony later, right? For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. So there's plenty of people coming through trying to catch him up and tell lies about him, but none of them could agree on anything. 
And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. In three days I will build another not made with hands. Even about this, their testimony did not agree. These guys can't get their their story straight, right? Because they're all lying. And the high priest stood up in the middle and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest, they, they couldn't take this. This was, this was too much. Tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? Witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. He's equating himself with God. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face to strike him and say to him, Prophecy. And the guards received him with blows. They felt justified in doing this. Jesus was telling the truth. They didn't believe who he was. Only Jesus can equate himself with God. Only Jesus can call himself God. We can't do that. We don't get to use God's name any way that we want. And so that's, for us, it's pretty easy. We are not to curse God's name intentionally, and we are not to curse God's name unintentionally, meaning we have to watch our hearts. What's coming out of our mouth is a reflection of what's inside. Are we, are we, are we having a steady diet of God's word? Is God changing us, transforming us? Are we spending time with him? Are we walking with him? Or are we walking so much with the world that that's what comes out of our mouth? It shouldn't be that way. And so we want to honor God. We do not want to puncture or harm his name. The second way, second re- uh, way that it's prohibited to use God's name is, is for empty or false oaths. So taking an oath in a false way, perjury, it's like lying. So essentially using God's name to give some type of accountability or authority to what you're saying. So we're actually, it's, it's, it's just using God. So I'm going to make a promise, and I, I swear to God. I swear to God I'm going to do this. Well, that's, you're putting God on the line there a little bit, right? But you're also using his name in vain, especially when you back out of that, when you don't do things that you promise that you're going to do. And so we shouldn't be taking oaths, number one. Jesus even talked about this in, in Matthew, right? That we shouldn't be taking oaths and, you know, we shouldn't be making oaths on heaven or God's throne or the earth below or anything, we should just let our yes be yes and our no be no. So instead of swearing to God that you're going to do something, just say, yeah, I'll do that, and then do it. Or say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or say, yeah, I, I, I did promise I was going to do that, and here's my circumstance that changed, and will you forgive me, and I'm, I'm, please help me, I'm going to try to make this right or something. But as soon as we invoke God's name there, we're, we're doing some damage to his name, especially when we back out which oftentimes we do, because we can't control everything. We, can't con- we make promises all the time, but we can't control the, the events surrounding that to get us to actually fulfilling our promises, taking these oaths. It doesn't mean that we, we never take an oath under the court of law, those types of things. We can take oaths. It doesn't re- restrict us from signing our name on a contract or those types of things. But once again, misusing God's name is the problem. Leviticus 19.20, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. And God signs this, I am the Lord. Listen to me. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane, which means to take what is holy and make it common, to defile his name, to, to pollute his name, to, to, rep, to really you're, you're bringing his name down to your level. And God's name, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore because you are not able to keep your oath and you are being false and you are lying and you are being unfaithful. So you're bringing God's name in all of that. You're profaning his name. 
Leviticus 19.12, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord. This is, there's multiple places where the same thing is said over and over again. We're not to misuse his name. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. People try to use his name for their own advantage. We think that there's, there's something about us that's going to be convincing if I swear to God that this is going to take place. If I put my hand up to God, somehow that makes me more credible. If you can't just say yes and follow through, don't bring God into that. So once again, it's a defilement, a polluting of his name, a profaning of his name. The third way, so we have the blaspheming or cursing God and making false oaths, essentially lying, perjury. The third way is false prophecies. And this is, a, this is kind of a big one. This one happens, um, this one really hasn't changed much, unfortunately. Jeremiah 23.25 talks about this. Jeremiah 23.25 says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I've dreamed, I've dreamed. So they're saying, I've dreamed, this is from God, right? God told me to tell you this, essentially. I'm prophesying, I'm saying these words, I want you to listen, I want you to do this because I really, I really want you to do it, but I'm going to put God's name on it, right? And by doing that, you're going to listen. So it's, it's, it's spiritual abuse, you're using God's name for your own purposes, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? That's what they're doing. It's coming out of their own. This is what they want, not what God wants. But they prophesy in, in the sense that this is from God. Who, make, uh, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams and they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Uh, verse, 30, verse 30, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Right? Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tells them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit um, this people at all declares the Lord. So these are people that are using God's name for their own for their own use, right? And we have to be careful with that. Um, we don't always say it like that. God told me, but sometimes we say it with enough conviction and with enough angst and contentiousness that that people believe. Well, this this person he's a this is a godly person. I know they read the Bible and they seem really convinced and they're really so maybe we need to listen to them. And so this is the problem in the church, and in many places in the church, and this is, there's false prophets out there, there are false teachers out there that are teaching things that are not of the Lord, and they're using God's word, they're taking things out of context, they use scripture to control people, to get people's money, to tell people what to do, it's, it's horrible. But even with good intention people, sometimes we can fall prey to that. And so when someone comes and, and, and tells me, yeah, well, I, I, really, I really feel like we... I think it'd be a really strong ministry. I've been praying a lot. I really feel like we need donuts in the foyer before the service, right? Stuff like that. No, you need donuts in the foyer. Your stomach is the one speaking to you, not the Lord. It, it might seem ridiculous, but that happens on a number of... And that's, that's not to say that God isn't leading you or there's a sense that God is moving us in a certain direction. We want to hear that, but we want to be cautious with that. We want to watch the words that we say with those things too. And so that's why, in God's wisdom, there's a plurality of elders in this church. Because we sit around the table, and we all have one vote, and we, we consider, and we talk, and we discuss, and we pray, and we, we get counsel from one another. So we make decisions together, not just because one person feels like this is what God told me we should be doing. Well, if God doesn't tell all of us, we're not doing anything right now. 
Right? We need to be moving together. But if we have a sense and God is leading, then we have confidence there. And similar to any decisions that you make in your personal life, you don't want to just find one counselor who says everything that you want to hear, because then you're just, you're just hearing the own, your own deceit, the, own, the thing that you really want. You want to get counselors that are going to hear you and talk and think, discern for you and say, you know what, I really don't, I think you really want that, but that's not going to be the best thing for you. Here's what I see in your life, and here's what I think you should be focused on. And I'm not saying God's telling me this, I'm just saying this is what I see. Right? And we, we are just wise with our words. We don't use God's name and invoke God's name in an authoritative way unless we are reading God's word. That is clear. Right? Philip Reichen has a quote about this in his commentary. He said, A more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance your own agenda. Some Christians say, The Lord told me to do this. Or worse, they say, The Lord told me to tell you to do this. Right? This is false prophecy. God has already said whatever he needs to say to us in his word. Of course, there is also an inward leaning of the Holy Spirit, but this is only an inward leading and should not be misrepresented as an authoritative word of God. So same thing we're just talking about here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. He didn't make up the message. He didn't make up the gospel. This is what Jesus told him. You proclaim Christ him crucified. We don't proclaim ourselves. So being cautious with that, with what you hear from the Lord, the leadings of the Lord, not using it in a way that's abusive, authoritative, or harmful to anyone. And the fourth way is is similar to that. Sorcery or magic was pretty prevalent in the days of Israel. And even even today, um, we don't see this as prevalent in in, in Christian churches, obviously, hopefully, we see it in some pockets in our culture. There's definitely um, there's definitely some of that where people with spells, incantations, they got to say things a certain way. They got to inject and use certain names to get the outcome that they want to control the supernatural, right, or to control people. And so, sorcery and magic is one of those areas that's that's dangerous. Acts 19, we find uh, we find kind of the the problem being put on display for us, and also how God addresses it. Acts 19, verse 11, and, the God, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or the aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they're using Jesus' name. Paul is doing this work in the name of Christ because Paul is an apostle of Christ. He's called to this work. He's been empowered to do this work. He's doing this work for the sake and the glory of God's name and for the glory of Jesus. And so he's doing those things properly, and God is using him. And other people see this and think, well, I'm going to use it for, I'm going to use his name too. There's obviously something going on here. So they, their, their words are, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but, but who are you? The spirits don't recognize this. They're, they have no authority because they're misusing his name. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. 
And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. See what, see what happens when the name of God is, when, when God's name is honored? Paul was honoring his name. These people were dishonoring his name. They would not be held guiltless for it. And they were beaten. They were jumped on and beaten. And so this, this word got around. Okay, these guys were using Jesus' name improperly, in vain, worthlessly, for their own agenda, for their own gain. And look what happened to them. So now many believers came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When God's name is honored, because now what happened there? The name of the Jesus was extolled. Jesus' name was extolled. His name was exalted. His name was being honored. His name was being given the right praise and glory that it should be given. And because of that, things started to change. People began to burn all these magic art books and get rid of all this junk. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Why? Because Jesus' name was lifted high. Not because it was used for their own agenda. When God's name is honored, the kingdom grows. So we need to slow down and consider his name. How do we worship him? Because even Jesus says in Matthew 7, there's going to be a, people are going to come and say, Lord, Lord. Right? They're going to use his name. They're going, to, they're going to claim to be Christians. They're going to prophesy in his name and do all these great works in his name. And he's going to say to them what at the end? I never knew you. I never knew you. They were doing those things for their own purposes. They did not actually submit to him as Lord and Savior. They did not want, want to submit to Jesus Christ. They just wanted to use him. And so that's the last, the last way that we have to be cautious with God's name is in our Christian worship and our witness. We should be very careful. We should be zealous to honor his name, to use his name in a reverent way. So when we worship God, do we come in here distracted and just say his name a lot because it's on the screen? Because I know the song and I just can kind of get through it? Or are we being careful with his name? Are we actually thinking about what his name means, who he is, all of his attributes, all of the works that he's done, the great salvation he has given us who believe, that he sent his son to die on a cross to atone for our sins. And we didn't earn any of that. We didn't merit any of that because he chose us, because he loves us. That's his name, this great God who continues to be involved with every aspect of our life, who loves us, who's preparing a place for us, who we get to spend eternity with, and he has this inheritance for his children. and just, That should all be wrapped up in his name. And so when we say his name and we sing his name, we should be, our heads should be bowed. We should be in worship versus just, yep, I know the next line. Let's get through that one. Okay, what's the next song? Oh, that song. I don't like that song. And, right? This, sometimes we come in with the wrong attitude. It's... it's that's not how it should be. And so our worship, it makes sense. Are we just giving lip service to God? Are we being careless with his name? And we see plenty of people doing this all over the place. Politicians do this all the time, and they say, God bless you, and God bless America, and God bless our church. Do they, even, do they know God, who they're asking to bless, any of, any of these people? Do they live in such a way where they're truly, they truly want God to bless? They're asking the, the living, the holy God who can't, please God, please bless them. And we can point to them because they're on TV and they, they make mistakes. And, but what about us? Do we do the same thing? When we sign our email, God bless. What, is that, what, is, what does that mean to us anymore? God wants us to take him seriously. We're not to, we're not to worship, have any of the gods before him. That's, that's a serious thing. How do we love God with everything that we are if we're loving other things, other gods? We can't do it. 
And we're to worship God in the way that he's called us to worship him, in spirit and in truth, based on who he really is. And not to form our own idols in this world and try to worship him our own way. We don't have the privilege to do that. That's a sin against God. We have to take that seriously. And we have to take God's name seriously. When we invoke his name, there should be reverence and awe. He is holy. He is other. And ultimately, it impacts our witness as well. We just, we just read, the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Why? Because Jesus' name was being lifted up. His name wasn't being drugged through. His name wasn't being used. And people were repenting of those things and burning those books and getting rid of all that stuff and not trying to use Jesus' name, but instead just worshiping and lifting up his name. His name is lifted up and people will come to him. Some people will run away from him. That's not, that's not for us to, to decide. We have to be faithful to lift his name. And how do we do that? We have to live according to the way Christ has called us to live. If we love Jesus, we will obey him. And so for us, our witness makes a big difference. Are we Christian in name only? Do we put the name tag on and make sure it's on there nice and sturdy and it's really nice penmanship? And yeah, I'm a Christian, but then we go live contrary to Christ. We live differently than what, how he's called us to live. We live according to the world and not, then, then we, we are using his name in vain. We're profaning his name to the earth. We see this with the Israelites in Ezekiel 36 that they, they had profaned his name, and so they, they did all these detestable things, and they had idols, and they did sacrifices, and they did all the things God told them not to do, and so he had to punish them, and he judged them, and he cast them out into all the other nations, and they were profaning his name in the nations because God promised them this land, and all the people saw, and they said, hey, weren't you supposed to be in that land over there? Aren't you supposed to belong to that God who, who, who gave you that land over there? But you're just with us, and you're doing the same things that we're doing. So they were profaning his name by acting as the world acted, by doing the things the world were doing. They weren't obeying their holy God. They weren't being a holy people. They weren't being a treasured possession. And so there was, there was consequences of that. And ultimately, if we, if we look at Ezekiel, what does God say at the end of that? Because his name is being profaned. He cares about his name more than anything else. He loves his people, but his people were to reflect his glory, to point back to him, to be a light to the nations. Ezekiel thirty six twenty two. And after saying that they profaned his holy name multiple times, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. His name is important to him. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. In the name of Christ. If you're a believer and you say, I'm a Christ follower, you need to follow Christ and obey him and repent when you sin and walk with him and be his people. But when we put on the name tag and say we're a Christian and go out and do all the things that Christians are not supposed to do, not because there's a, bunch of, there's a rule book, but because we're supposed to love our Lord. He saved us. He's given us the greatest gift. We have everything because of him. Out of a heart of gratitude, we should give everything back. And when we walk around and just do whatever we want and worship God any way we want and worship other gods, we are profaning his name. And his name is important. And so as believers this morning, we need to be zealous and we need to be careful to honor his name with reverence and awe and repent of the times and the, be aware of the, the words coming out of our mouths and how we use his name, how we hide his name, perhaps, instead of lifting his name high. 
evangelism <laughs> evangelism is so much easier if we're not just focused on everything we're trying to say, but if we just live what we believe. If we live it out, Jesus' name is lifted high. He is extolled among the nations and, and people will come because there's something different. That's who we're called to be. As Christ followers, we're to follow Christ, to lift his name high, not to profane it. So let's encourage one another as we, as we go this week. Um, pray for one another, not to misuse God's name in any of these ways, not for our own purposes, not for our own agenda, not for our own amusement. But we are to use God's name for his glory, to give him praise and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Thank you for your name, that when Moses wanted to see your glory, you spoke your name to him. It's amazing. can't even comprehend your holiness, your otherness, your goodness, Lord. And yet you have, you have come down, and you've met your people on Mount Sinai, and you've come down, Lord. Emmanuel, God, with us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming down, for dying on the cross, and for saving us. Those who would believe and put our faith in you, Lord Jesus, we are saved. And those who will not believe, those who continue to profane your name, who blaspheme your name, who rebel against your name, Lord, they will not be, they will not be guiltless. They are still under your wrath, Lord. And so, Lord, that's why we're here, too, Lord. You've called us to love you, to love people completely and fully, Lord, but also to be on mission, to, to go into the world, to take your gospel, your good news to the lost, to baptize those who believe in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to baptize them in your name, because your name is holy, and to obey everything that you've commanded us to do, to, to, to live as, as we've been called, the Father. So help us with all these things. Holy Spirit, we are weak and we are limited. And we are inadequate in every way, but you are not. So give us strength to walk in this world. Pray, Holy Spirit, you would produce the fruit that only you can in our lives. And that ultimately, Lord, we would see many coming to know you, that your word, Lord, would prevail in the world around us. And ultimately, Lord, help us to give you glory as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.